Hello, everyone. Welcome. My name is John Keeler. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we're glad to have you worshiping with us. I would definitely say that I am in the camp that did not like the snow. If anybody, I know, I don't know if that's going to turn anyone against me, but don't hold it against me. I'm always voting against my kids. You know, like, if you think about this lot and trying to clear it off and wanting to have people in and out of the church, and, you know, like, it's for a good cause. Um, but anyway, got the uh, retire to Florida plan in my, in my future. So if you've been here before at Grace, you know that we're all about discipleship, right? We, we exist to be disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. And for discipleship to happen consistently, we need a process, right? So I want to show you on this next slide, we have a four-step process that we follow, um, a lot of the folks that have gone through our training have probably seen this. It's share, connect, minister, and disciple. All right? And what I want you to really focus on is what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And it's, and it's a second component, which is connect. And, and with connect, it's all about connecting believers with a loving Christian community, right, where they can grow deeper in their walk with the Lord. That's, that's what connect is all about, giving them strength, okay? And as, as Sandy mentioned, um, and I'm so thankful to have her, her, her share, um, because that's a, the topic that she's talking about, is about the PALS ministry, about what they do at CareNet to strengthen women who need strength and men who need strength to go through these challenging situations in life. And, and this, personally, for me, is an extremely important topic, and for my family, because of the story that we have, which, you know, I, I learned about it as a teenager. And so, you know, back, it started with my grandparents. They got married at a very young age, as people did back then. Um, and, you know, shortly thereafter, my grandfather uh, was, was called into active duty. So, you know, he was going to be away for a long time. Um, my, my grandmother you know, feeling the, the financial stress and not really being able to provide on her own, you know, un, I guess you would say uh, reluctantly moved back in with her parents because her, her father was abusive physically and, and uh, emotionally abusive. Her, her stepmother um, was, was extremely harsh and, and, you know, she had story after story. So she didn't really want to move back in, but she had no other choice. Well, you know, as you can expect from some of these stories, she was lonely. She, you know, was looking for acceptance, and she ended up having an affair while my, when my grandfather was away. And she became pregnant. Um, and, you know, obviously would be in a situation where she could have really used the PALS ministry. But she didn't have that. And it was uh, one of those situations, her stepmother was so uh, outraged by it that she forced her to try to have an abortion. And this is, you know, in the days before Roe versus Wade was uh, initially, uh, you know, took place. And so, you know, it was definitely not, um, you know, uh, anything less than a crude method of, of, of things I wouldn't get into that she's explained. But thankfully, it didn't work. Thankfully, only by God's grace, I'm here telling you this story because my mom was born. Um, and, you know, by the grace of God, that, that pregnancy occurred. But 
as, as we know, and as Sandy mentioned, it, it did not come without hardship. My grandmother was uh, forced to try to put the baby up for adoption. She refused, um, was kicked out of the house, ended up homeless with my mom, a small child in Philadelphia, and um, lived that way for a little while till an aunt took her in. But she, she, she couldn't find strength and community. She had no family. She was alone. She was isolated. And that's what a lot of people are in this world. That's what a lot of people are going through when they have these pregnancies if they don't find someone like the PALS ministry. But I remember, you know, growing up and hearing this story, and, and my grandmother, I mean, she, these were deep emotional scars. I can tell you she had, you know, struggled with drinking and different things um, to kind of find the acceptance and, and the fulfillment that she was looking for. But she told me, when I was a teenager, she looked me in the eye and she said, the only thing that brought me out of that trajectory where we were going, the only thing was that I found a loving community of believers that helped me find Jesus. And after that, her life was able to start to heal. There were still a lot of hurts, but she had people walking alongside of her, helping her, discipling her, and then she grew up into the grandmother that I knew, you know, my whole life, who was one of the most impactful people of my life, one of the people that are the reason for me standing here. You know, and that is the part that I want everyone to know. It's through Christian community that she and her life was changed and my life was changed. So that's what we're really here for. That is the purpose of a believing community, right? Coming together and what a better, you know, Sunday to celebrate that, but sanctity of human life, where we need to come alongside of each other to strengthen each other and to give each other those connections that we need to grow deeper in our walk with the Lord. So today, we're actually going to be looking at Nehemiah 7, and you might be wondering, how in the world does that connect with any of that? But we'll see in just a second. So last week, we were talking about, in, in the beginning of Nehemiah 7, how Nehemiah knew that he needed to preserve and protect what the Lord had given them, right? There was a lot of work that was done, but there's a lot more work to be done. They had a job to do beyond this. There was more than just the walls. It was his job to bring life back to this city, to bring vitality to the city, the revival that God was planning. And it all started and centered around community. Now, if you turn to Nehemiah 7.4... We'll just get started with the first verse in this section. And it says, Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been built. So, the problem that Nehemiah had is, okay, the walls were built, but the city is more than just the walls. It's the people within the walls. But they had a problem. There weren't many people in the city at that point in time. The houses weren't rebuilt yet. And maybe you're wondering why that's a problem. If you've ever, you know, in America, we like our space, right? Nobody likes that little tiny postage stamp kind of yard. You want, you know, you want your acres. But um, the problem back then, and you would have felt it, is that a small population left you vulnerable to enemy attack. 
you'd have very few people to guard and defend the walls and to, you know, to, to be intimidating to the, to the enemies around them. You know, could you imagine just such a little population? They had enemies out there that were waiting any minute to, to attack. And in a similar way as Christians, you know, it's the same thing. We need to stand together for strength. We need to be together in community. It's only when we are there for each other where we can bring support, where we can protect each other, as I mentioned. Because our enemy loves to divide and conquer. In the church, he tries to divide and conquer over issues. In the house, he tries to divide and conquer every morning, right? And everywhere you go, he tries to divide and conquer us because when we're alone, we are vulnerable. I think about, you know, and you might think as well, how many times have you had success when you thought, I'm going to fix this problem on my own? I just, I think of, you know, for you who have parents, uh, you know, parents of, of small kids, how many of you love when you're, where you're, you know, your little toddlers are real, you know, trying to fix problems on their own? Like when one of mine, you know, you know clogged up the toilet and he was going to fix it. <laughs> like, no, ask for help. We are there to help each other. But you have to be humble. You have to be vulnerable, right? And we talk about that in our training. You know, authentic relationship happens when we're vulnerable. But we don't do that anymore, right? In this church, in, in America, we don't, we don't get vulnerable. We don't show our weaknesses. But that is how we can have strength, when others can come alongside of us. But spiritually... You know, we, we, we spoke a little bit about this last week. Jerusalem was the city of God, right? It was the center place for the worship of Yahweh, of God. And Nehemiah knew that in order for to give God the glory that he deserved, you needed to have people worshiping him there. If, if the city wasn't vibrant, the revival wasn't going to take place. And think about us as churches, right? You need people to come alongside each other, to lift up each other's hands, and to share the work. I, I, one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. And it tells us about our role as a church. This is the church community. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head Christ. We are going to grow into Jesus Christ. We are going to become just like him. And how are we going to do that? From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Each part has to do its work. Each of you have to do your work. We are critically dependent on each other because we're parts of the same body. I, sometimes I don't like that. Sometimes I think maybe, you know, I'm the less savory parts of the body. But it's, it's just the way I feel sometimes because, you know, you don't, you don't always feel appreciated, right, at times. But we need each other. We need to support each other. You know, together we can stand against the pressures that we face immediately after leaving these doors. And so... What does Nehemiah do? So in, in verse 5a, he says, So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people 
by registration by family. And so he decided, you know, he's going to get all these people together. And apparently it wasn't that many people, so it was pretty quick, you know, ringing the dinner bell. But he, he plans to get the people together to, to tackle the solution together. And that's, you know, that's the beautiful part about community. And as we'll see in chapter 11 later on, especially in verses 1 and 2, he comes up with a plan to recruit people to come. You know, these people that were going to settle in the towns and villages outside of Jerusalem. He's going to recruit people to come and live in Jerusalem. And it says in uh, chapter 11, 1 and 2, Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own towns. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So he had a formula. So first you start, you know, the leaders led the way. They settled in Jerusalem. That's great. They were leading by example. You know, don't ask your people to do what you won't do yourself. And the second thing he did is he, you know, he did a a draft, a, a drawing. One out of every 10 families were to come in and live in Jerusalem. And then they took some volunteers. And, and for me, you know, what I love about these verses, and it teaches us something very special. It teaches us that we can never underestimate how valuable it is to just be there, right here where you are, right? You know, sometimes it is just good enough to show up on Sunday. A lot of people struggle doing that. But that is what church community is all about. You might not be asked to do some, you know, dramatic ministry, that changes the lives of everybody around you. You know, in a lot of ways, those saints in heaven that get the the largest rewards are the faithful ones who showed up, who, you know, gave an encouraging word, who prayed for others, who maybe served a cup of coffee, greeted someone at the door, or just maybe invested in the life of somebody somewhere in this congregation. Because we can all have an important ministry just from showing up and being connected. And that's what's happening here. The men, women, children, you know, they, they lived in Jerusalem. They showed up. They populated that city. And they impacted their nation and future generations by showing up and being connected. And I, I'll give you a little story. And I want to show you these uh, redwoods, okay? Coastal redwoods. I don't know. I'm not really a forestry guy myself, but I will say this. Uh, coastal redwoods are the largest trees in uh, the world. I mean, they're, they're enormous, okay? And they teach us a great lesson because they do not have a deep root system. You know, and for such a large tree, they go up to like 350 feet, 380 is the, I mean, it's huge. I, I mean, I've never seen one in person. I know my wife has when she was visiting family. But they're, they're even able to still withstand a lot of pressure, a lot of uh, challenges. Even though they have this shallow root system, it, nothing can knock them down, right? Flood, earthquake, all this. But why? Why can they stand strong? And the answer is on the next slide. They have an intricate, intertwined root system. They are interconnected with each other. Redwoods grow in close proximity to each other. And they have 
literally the nutrients and the strength to hold each other up. It's amazing. And they grow together. They provide strength. And you know what's interesting? They literally, you know, hold each other up, keep each other from getting knocked down from the adversity of, you know, whatever the world, you know, throws at them. And that's a lesson, I think, for each of us. You know, we can provide support to each other, but the major question that might be facing you today is, are you connected? Are you intertwined here at Grace, or do you casually come on Sundays? Right? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the challenge. And, and you can think about, you know, are you truly invested in anyone else's life around you? Do you know the people that you worship together with? Are you in a small group? <clears throat> because if you are isolated and alone, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. And I know I've walked through times, you know, we all do it, right? We get very independent when things, I don't know, maybe you're not like, like me, but when, I, when things are stressful, when they're hectic, I get independent. I get out of my way. Don't, you know, don't bother me. <laughs> Paul, I know you're thinking of that when this project was giving me a headache. I'm like, get out of my way. Don't talk to me. <laughs> you can pray. You can pray. No, but I've gone through periods of my life when work was weighing down, not this job, but my prior job, weighing down every day another, you know, brick on my shoulder. And I isolated. I walked in and out of the doors, you know, played the part, but it was, it was dry. But I'll tell you, the times when I just kind of stopped and thought, I need help, I need help. I remember we were going to a church, you know, where Julie was ministering, and I just felt it on my heart. You know, I was always embarrassed to be one of those people that would go up and, you know, have to have prayer or something. I, you know, I'm a pastor's kid. I can't have any problems. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I remember coming up at the end the one time and just thinking, I need, I just need somebody. I need somebody. And I, I never admitted it before. But it's when we actually invest, when we're humble enough to admit, we need somebody. We need some help. That is when we can truly enjoy and understand the benefits of community, when we're invested in community. And I, you know, I love this story. Last week, we had this awesome luncheon up in the new space uh, with the primetimer group. My wife and I really enjoyed it, and, and Brandy did a phenomenal job. Um, I'm not the, 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 you know, the food caterer guy. Brandy did all the work, and we had such a great time. And, you know, what, what, what was the highlight? I have to say the highlight of it, other than getting to know each, each of my friends, is that Harvey McGee showed up. Does anybody know who Harvey McGee is? I hope you do. And I hope you, he's on your prayer list. He, he has been struggling with uh, an inoperable brain tumor for months, okay? And he's, he's gone through ag aggressive treatments and so on. But this prime timer group has been alongside him every step of the way. They've given him meals, they've driven him to treatments, they've given him emotional support, prayer, you know, and, and on and on it goes. And sometimes we don't always see the impact of that, right? But what a joy when he showed up and he woofed down all the food that we were eating. I was like, whoa, I didn't know, you know, I, I was, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely going through treatments and he, and you know, he's physically hit from it. But I was amazed. I was amazed that he was able to show up, and what a miracle from God, you know, and he attributes it to the prayers, the support, the love from God's people, from God's people here. That is a powerful weapon 
that we can all fight together with. And it's amazing. You know, the prime timers, you know, we'll all give God the glory for everything he does. But, you know, we get to be a part of it. They got to be a part of it. And stories like that should really motivate us, right? That we know, I, you know, you might be thinking, I'm not struggling with anything. I don't really need help. Well, maybe it's right around the corner. You know, if, what do they say? If you're not, you know, in any stress or trouble, wait a couple of days. You know, otherwise, though, also, I always say that if you're not, somebody needs you, <laughs> right? If you're not struggling, somebody needs help. I knew, you know, every time in my former role in, in another company, I knew that everybody, and it was a prayer, I said, Lord, I know every single person walking in here needs help. They won't tell you that. Everybody's struggling with the marriage thing, a child issue, you know, un, you know sick person. If, if I asked each of you, I'm sure you need help in some way. You're struggling with something. And I knew that, praying, and here's what I want you to do. Pray that the Lord will lead you to minister to somebody this week. I guarantee you he'll find that person for you. It could be in here. It could be in your small group. It could be at your job. But ask him. Show, ask him to show you that. And I tell you, he'll show up. He'll really show up. And if you're not in a small group or a Bible study, there are openings everywhere that would love to welcome you in. And they would love to carry your burden with you when you get there. I promise you. So the next thing we want to see when, when he gathered all these people, right, in verses uh, 5b through 7, we read, buckle up. I'm, I'm, this is the one I practice, okay? There's some names in here that are going to be hard. All right. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles from whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramaiah, Namahani, you ready? Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigva, Nahum, and Banna. But don't... No, no, I... Don't go back and listen to, like, the Bible on CD or anything. I don't know if I really said them right. You think I did, and that's good enough. So, after we move on past that list, and I'm not going to go any further if you're looking at your Bible, okay, and, and your outline, you're like, till 73, what's this guy crazy? All right, so he goes on and on and on and reads lists of people, names, numbers. It, it's one of those things I'm, I'm guaranteeing when you're, you know, in your Bible reading plan, you're like, uh-huh, oh, yeah, oh, yep, there we go, and I'm back on track. I got ahead this day. We, we have to understand, though, that these lists are really important. If they're in God's eternal word, they have a purpose. They have something to teach us, and what's really cool about this list is that keep, and one of the things I wanted you to keep in mind, when you look and you read, oh, Nehemiah, is he listing himself? This list is the people who returned with Zerubbabel on the first wave almost 100 years before our Nehemiah. So that Nehemiah is not the same Nehemiah. Um, but for this section, these are the genealogies that were used to track heritage 
for the sake of land ownership, okay? Remember that. So 100 or so, like, you know, it's anywhere from 75 to 100 years before Nehemiah. This is the list of people that return. And they had to track their genealogies to track who owned what parts of land in the promised land. You know the promised land, right? When Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and all that stuff, right? They divided up the promised land by tribe and family and did, 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 and everybody knew who they were, where they belonged. And if they were part of this group, if they were listed here, they were part of the family of God. They were part of the inheritance and they knew who they were and that they belonged. That was super important back then. And think about today. You know, how many of you know your ancestry? You know, and how many of you know who you came from? You know, that's, that's become very important, especially in America, the big melting pot or whatever we call each other today. Uh, it's become very important to a lot of people, right? And there's company after company that you can send DNA kits to, you can do research, and you find out, who am I? And I think a lot of people, they're looking for that because they need to know something about who they are. They, how do they belong? How do they fit in? Um, and they, and they, and you know, I, I, for me personally, the story I told you about my ancestry, what's interesting about that is, you know, this happens all the time. My, my grandmother got pregnant, you know, from another man. He found out, he left. She never actually ever heard from the man again. Never saw him, couldn't find him, didn't know who he was. It was gone. I, you know, and so, you know, fast forward, my, my grandfather returns from the, the war, and, and he's, you know, faced with a bit of a decision, and he stays, thankfully. Uh, what, a, what a man he, he was. And I, I grew up, he's, he's the only grandfather I ever knew. And um, what a great guy. He raised my mom as his own, you know, took care of her. But they never had other children. And I, you know, there was never really a full healing in that relationship. But they did raise my mom. But she always kind of felt alone as an only child. I don't, I didn't get the pleasure of that. I was the middle child. So it was a little different problem. But um, she, you know, she, she always knew, you know, like thinking. And, and when she found out that she had a biological father, not that she was entirely concerned about him, but she wondered, I wonder if I have family out there somewhere. Like, I wonder what, what's out there. Lo and behold, my, my brothers and I got her one of those ancestry kits, and she went through the, you know, the research and everything. She found she had tons of siblings, tons, um, in the Jersey area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Big surprise in that story. <laughs> so, lots of siblings, big extended family, and she found them. And believe it or not, they weren't creeped out by, you know, somebody like, hey, you know, I'm one over here, and they're, you know, and they believed the story, and they actually found, like, a video of my grandmom with, you know, that, that, was, that was with their dad, and so on and so forth. But what's interesting is that my dad, that my mom had, had like desperately waited for something like this. She, you know, there was this like piece of her, you know, that finally I know part of my heritage, who I belong. And it doesn't make sense to me because I grew up with such a loving family. I'm like 
just fine, <laughs> you know. But she is, you know, is, is made whole by, by these relationships. And as exciting as they are, you know, what's the, the one real piece of heritage we need to be certain of and that we should be most excited about is our spiritual heritage, right? That's the one that matters most. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the church that don't know. They're not certain of their spiritual heritage. You might ask them, you know, are you a child of God? And they might say, I don't know, or I hope so. You know, they go to church all their life, or maybe they grew up, you know, with parents, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian, you know, but they're not certain. But that's not what God wants for us, right? And, and 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, God wants us to know that we have eternal life if we are truly his. And that only comes. Our, our spiritual heritage is confirmed when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That is the only thing that confirms that spiritual heritage. And God wants us to have assurance of that so we can grow and produce fruit. And I, you know, I've had a friend who I grew up with for years who struggled in that area. He never had, he never had this assurance, even though I kind of, you know, knew him in the church and, and, you know, always assumed he was a Christian. I was over at his house and I asked him, you know, are, are you sure of your salvation? Because of what I've heard, he was backsliding, you know, struggling and he wasn't sure. And, and we prayed and we talked and, um, he, you know, he committed his life to Christ because he wasn't sure. And he knew that that is the only spiritual heritage that really matters. That's the only one. You know, and we know that there are tons of names written in the book of Nehemiah and other parts in the Bible, but the only book with names that matters is the Lamb's Book of Life. Have you heard of that? And at the end of time, Revelation 20 14 through 15 tells us, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And that is the truth about the future of those who do not believe, whose, whose name is not written in that book. But we, who have accepted Christ as our Savior, will be with him for eternity in heaven. That is our spiritual heritage. And here's the thing where it connects to community, okay? Community can give us assurance of that salvation. That's what my friend was lacking. He, he didn't know because he wasn't seeing the fruit of his salvation. In uh, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, basically that section is telling us that when we believe, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes within us, and becomes the guarantee, the seal of that salvation. Okay, that confirmation. So when that happens, we are given spiritual gifts. We are given spiritual gifts to use in the church body. And when we use those, then we get this confirmation, this, this affirmation that we are saved, that we are, we are Jesus's, Jesus Christ's own possession. Because salvation is between you and the Lord alone. It truly is. But you can have assurance when you see the fruit of the Spirit lived out in your life. So if you are not certain of that, that, that is something I don't want you to leave today without talking to somebody. Because 
you know, we want to talk to you. We want to, you know, explain that in more detail. But that is the one list, the one spiritual heritage we need to hold dear. Now, another aspect of this list, and the final, is encouragement. This list gave such encouragement. When he listed all these people, these ancestors of theirs, what's cool about it is that only 2% of all the Jews returned from captivity. Did you know that? When, when, you know, when they were allowed to return, only 2% actually came back to their homeland. And so the people that did, these people that are listed, this small remnant of people, they deserve to be recognized. They deserve for their sacrifice to be recounted like they did. They risked everything. Like if you think about it, you know, as, as much as being, I don't know if you would find this, uh, you know, as, as a good experience, but they were taken into captivity. That doesn't sound like fun, right? <laughs> but Babylon was like a, you know, metropolis. It was, it was like a booming, you know, uh, nation, city. And, and so they, they became wealthy. They became, you know, content. They, they put down roots. They were there for 70 years. They became you know, rich and, and probably enjoyed a lot of modern comforts because that was like the center of the world at the time. So these people that came back, they abandoned everything. Friends, family, jobs, you know, they were willing to sacrifice everything. And we know from our study of Nehemiah so far, you know, they're walking right into, you know, enemy issues, territory that is hostile. But they trusted God. They trusted God as a small community to come back to the land that he had promised their ancestors to do what he had called them to do. And so the people here at Nehemiah's time, they had these people to thank. They were standing on the shoulders of the people that went before them. Those people laid the groundwork for the success that Nehemiah and his team accomplished. So Nehemiah's group, you know, they're reading this. They're like grandchildren and children, uh, you know, great-grandchildren of these ancestors. They're in this family of God. You know, it's like a glimpse back at, you know, 450 B.C. of what the church of Christ is today. That's what we are here today. We're in this time. We're in this place. You know, we serve this purpose today. We are part of the universal church, but we are part of this church as well. And we stand on the shoulders of the people that built this building, that we're worshiping over in the chapel. And we can thank all those people who have gone before us, who have laid the groundwork. Hebrews 12.1, you have to love this, this verse. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. He, he's, he's giving them a rally, a war cry, saying, hey, you know, people have come before us. They had more work to be done, and so do we. We're going to do this together. The walls are just the beginning. And this was the encouragement they had. And we have that too. You know, there's people, I think, who have gone before us, who have laid some groundwork who have shown so much. I, you know, what, how many of you, we, we face these issues, gender issues, different things, like we're struggling through, uh, you know, other challenges in our culture, and we think this is new, this is impossible. How do we deal with this? What are Christians going to do? 
But I'd like to read you a quick verse, Ecclesiastes 1.9. It says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun, right? There is nothing new under the sun. What that means for us as believers is that we can learn from past generations. We can be you know, historians of our heritage, our spiritual heritage. And we can understand that today, we do not face issues that are unique. We really don't. Do you know that? You go back through history, you, you look back, and it's the same thing. It, it's the same arguments against truth. That's what it is. That's what we face when evolution hit the schools, when people were questioning the accuracy of the Bible, when the life issue first came up. It, over and over and over again, we repeat the history of the past. And our ancestors, the people who have gone before us, have shown us the way. And I referenced it in Ephesians 4.15, right? When I said, in speaking the truth in love. That is how we can challenge what we're up against. That is what they showed us the answer is. Speaking the truth in love. Because that can take on any lie. And that can love the person who's deceived. Because there's so many lies out there about gender, about, uh, you know, what we're struggling. They're the same thing. These, these human, you know, the, the human arguments against truth and reason and all that, they don't offer people with purpose. They don't offer people with salvation because they're not the truth. And so we can give people the truth. We can speak that truth in love and let the Holy Spirit work on the hearts of people. And so, you know, when I think of community, I, I've gone uh, many different directions in my life. And I, as I said, I've learned the, the lesson um, and the important lesson that community is so valuable. When we walk alongside, I mean, I've had so many times when I've felt the support of brothers and sisters come alongside of me. And I know as I've been able to use my spiritual gifts in the church, that is when I have the greatest joy. That is when I confirm my spiritual heritage. I'm like, I'm a child of God. I'm part of this. You know, and how encouraging is it, right? When we see, we, we take apologetics classes or we read history about our faith, how we came to be here. It's such an encouragement that we can have perseverance, that we can push, push on, and that we can be part of a community together. So the question really is, you know, are you invested here in this community to see the true benefits of community? Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank you for uh, just the beauty of community and the connectedness we can have here, the encouragement we can give each other as we live life together, day in and day out, just shouldering each other's burdens. Lord, we know this is a season of loss for a lot of people right now. There's uh, just a lot of our folks are struggling with loss of a loved one. Lord, give us the opportunity to come alongside each other, to uh, bear each other's burden, to encourage each other in prayer, to support each other with a meal, pick up the phone and just just talk. 
Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for uh, the encouragement I have, I have received at this church body. I just thank you for the opportunity to be part of this loving family that we have here at Grace. We just thank you also, Lord, for just our common purpose and being disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus so that we can spread the truth and allow your Holy Spirit to change hearts and minds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.